was late. I think it was downstairs. So I gave him a real hard time. I got up here and I said, uh, I said they told me he might make a run for it. So, <laughs> so now the bell was going off and I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> Mike wasn't here to give me any grief, so I figured I would do that myself. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Avisto, one of the pastors here. And as will be a lot of snow, the Pastor Paul has uh, gone this week on vacation, and so I'm going to be uh, preaching for us this morning. Um, Wednesday is January 1st of the year 2020. It's a brand new year. In fact, it's a brand new decade, which is a pretty amazing thing. And whenever these new years come around, and especially like decades, it's, good, it's a good time to look back and to kind of reflect on the year that we've just got done. And we kind of look back and see what we did. And so, a couple questions for you. How much weight did you lose? <laughs> How much debt did you pay off? How many times did you read your Bible uh, this year, right? Because those are some of the common um, New Year's resolutions that we do. It seems like the gym is always giving out something. We had a local gym flyer came in. And it was uh, $20.20, I think, per month, or maybe for the year. I don't know what it was. But they were trying to do the 2020, trying to push it as this is a time when people are going to make these resolutions and that they're going to um, go. It's also a um, um, good time. So we look back and we kind of see how we did. It's a time that we look forward and we do make those resolutions and we do make those goals and we go through. We look at life and we see how do we want it to be different this year than what it was um, last year. And as you're setting up your goals, you can take some of these goals right from Scripture themselves. And there's many goals that you could take if you took them from Scripture, right? One of your goals would be to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, to love God and to love others more than what you do now. Another goal would be to know God and to make him known. These are scriptural things. Now, we don't have any record of anybody making a New Year's resolution in the Bible at all, at least none that I could find. However, when I look at the book of Colossians, I look at the Apostle Paul, I look at one of the statements that he makes, I say this is a clear goal that the Apostle Paul had. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And I want to look at what Paul's goal was. And so Paul's goal was to present everyone mature in Christ. So let's read this together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and verses 29 say this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to look at that statement today. And what I kind of want to do is walk out, what was Paul doing, why was he doing it, and how does he do it? But let me pray before we uh, uh, jump into it. Father God, we come before you now, Lord, and as we open up your word, we just ask, Lord, that you'll open up our hearts. Lord, we want to know, Lord, what you are telling us. We want your word to make an impact on our lives. We want your Holy Spirit to change us because of what we hear when we hear your word. So be with us this morning, I pray, in your name, amen. So first of all, what does Paul says he 
is doing in this passage. And what is it that we are to do in this passage? The first thing Paul says is, him we proclaim. And when he's talking about him, he's talking about Jesus Christ. So Paul begins with, Jesus Christ I proclaim. So when Paul looks at his ministry to make people mature in Christ, he says, the first thing I do is proclaim Christ. Why? Because if we're, if they don't know Christ, they cannot become mature in Christ. So he starts with what he does. He says, we proclaim Christ. And if you read the book of Acts, you see Paul doing this all throughout. Paul goes from city to city, from place to place, even, in fact, country to country, proclaiming Christ. And if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus Christ doing the same thing. And he goes from place to place, and he proclaims that the kingdom of God is near, is here, the kingdom of heaven. After Jesus' resurrection, he's with his disciples, and he's talking to them, and he says this to them. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is known as the Great Commission, and this is what we are to do. We are to proclaim the name, or we are to proclaim the gospel. So my question to you is, do you proclaim Jesus Christ? Do you proclaim the gospel? There's always some people who do, right? And they just seem to just naturally do it, and they seem to be without fear. And it seems like every conversation is turned towards the gospel. We've all met people like that. But we're not all like that, right? And some of us, to preach the gospel or to say something is fear-invoking. We get nervous. We get afraid. We, we um, kind of clam up. And only occasionally do we muster the strength, do we muster the boldness in order to speak to someone. Why is that? I think a couple things that we look at can be, number one, is we have this fear. We have this fear of what other people are think, what other people will do, how they will react. The other thing, I think, is that we feel like we don't really know the gospel. We don't feel like we're equipped or prepared to tell anybody about what the gospel is. And so to address those two concerns, the first one is fear. And I say this, I say, ask God for courage. Ask God for boldness. Ask other people to pray for you. We see this throughout scripture where people ask. In the book of Acts, they pray for boldness so that they might proclaim the gospel. Um, Ephesians 6.19, this is the Apostle Paul himself, who is this apostle to the Gentiles, who spends his whole life proclaiming Christ. Listen to what he says. And pray also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Twice in that one sentence, when Paul's asking him to pray, he says, pray that I can speak this boldly, boldly, boldly. This is, if, if the Apostle Paul has to pray this, we certainly have to pray the same prayer. And we need to pray for each other as well. So that's kind of the, um, the uh, fear and the boldness part. The other part is sometimes we don't feel like we know the gospel well enough. We don't know enough to talk to someone. We don't know what, where in the Bible to look. We don't say just read the Bible, so we don't know. Um, when you came in, you were given a bookmark. And on the bookmark, it says the Roman Road on the front. It's got a series of Bible verses on the back. So this is something that's called the Roman's Road, and you can go online and you can, and you can look at it. I'm not quite sure who came up with it first. But it's a collection of verses through the book of Romans that spell out the gospel. It spells out how people are saved. And like I say, you can find information online. 
And just to kind of uh, quote from one of the um, websites, it says this. It says, although many people believe that they'll go to heaven because they have lived a good life, they've done charity work, they've been baptized as a child, they've attended church, they've treated others fairly, the Bible declares that none of us can live up to God's standard of righteousness. Therefore, we need a road to God that doesn't rely on anything that we do, but rather relies on the gift of his grace alone. So this bookmark, if you want, you can use it to understand the gospel yourself. And if you're talking to someone, you can walk through it or those verses and just simply talk about it. Um, lots of these verses are obvious. They're clear. There's no you know, mystery involved in these at all. Um, if you're really good at memorizing, you don't even need the bookmark. <laughs> you, can, you can look at it once or twice and memorize it. But let's just look at, let's just look at what's on the bookmark and just look through these um, passages real quick. First one says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power for salvation. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This falling short of the glory of God is falling short of that standard of righteousness that God has. God has this standard, and it says that every single person has fallen short. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. This punishment for this sin, for this falling short of the standard of righteousness, is death. Um, the next one says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took that penalty that was supposed to be to us, for us, and he took it on himself, and that's why he died on the cross. Um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the gospel, and that's what the Apostle Paul preached. That's what he proclaimed. So he says he does three things. He said, I proclaimed, I warned, and I taught. So the next piece I want to look at is this whole warning piece. So Paul tells us, right, we're not only to proclaim, but we're also to warn. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word warn? Whose voice do you hear when you think about that? Right? Sometimes it's this voice of authority, right? It's, it's this kind of like threatening kind of voice um, that tells us what we can or what we cannot do. But other times we get this feeling like we're little kids again, right? And we can hear mom talking, talking to us. And um, we can hear those words over and over, right? And uh, you can hear this, right? I'm not going to warn you again. Or you can hear, I warned you, but you wouldn't listen, <laughs> right? So maybe that's not what you hear. But these are, these are voices, right? These are warnings that we can remember. Or maybe it was when you were a teenager, right? So picture this. You're either not a teenager, but you're going to be a teenager. You are a teenager or hopefully you can remember when you were a teenager. And you get your driver's license. You're gonna go out. It's a bright, beautiful, sunny afternoon. And what does your mom or your dad say? Drive safe, right? They give you that warning. It's a bright, sunny day. I'm driving. Of course they're gonna drive safe, right? That's what kind of what goes through your mind. Or if you've been married for over 30 years, like myself, and tomorrow it's gonna be snowing out, I'm gonna get the warning. You'll you get the warning from your wife. It's like, drive safe. Right? Well, there's just this warning that comes. So these warnings are natural that we, that we get, but they have these different voices that come in. But so what is a warning designed to do? What is a warning trying to accomplish? Because right? people are saying these things for a reason. 
The intent when you warn someone is to save them from danger. It's to save them from pain. It's to save them from heartbreak. It's to save them from loss, right? When a parent warns the little child not to touch the, touch the hot stove, why do they do it? So the child doesn't get burned, right? If the, if the parent of a young child says, don't climb on the TV, why are they saying that? Because they don't want the TV to fall down on the child. Um, or here's my favorite warning. So um, my daughter has a, a nine-month-old, and uh, they were the, over the other day, and uh, the nine-month-old, he's walking um, up towards the uh, outlet on the wall, and my daughter says this, honey, don't lick the outlets, <laughs> which I think is a pretty practical warning, right? <laughs> and it's designed to keep him safe, right? We don't want the nine-month-old licking the outlets. So um, it's designed to keep him safe. And so Paul tells him that one of his purposes is to warn him. And when he does this, he is trying to protect them. He's trying to guide them. He's trying to keep them on the right path. He wants them to do well. He wants them to avoid sin. He wants them to avoid all these things that come with it. He wants them to lead holy lives. He wants them to walk with God. He wants them to please God. So the question is, if we are to follow Paul and we are to warn, what are some of the things that we warn about? And again, there's so many things in Scripture. Scripture has so many different uh, warnings. It's full of examples. And they're full of examples of things that we should not do and things that we should do, but perhaps we're neglecting those. So let's just take a look at one passage that contains both of those. And this is found in Galatians. It's uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Um, next slide there, the Galatians. There we go. Um, so he says this. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. In this passage, Paul warns them what they shouldn't do, right? Fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, envy, um, jealousy. These are things that he warns them against. And then he tells them these things that he should be doing, right? Be peaceful, be kind, um, faithfulness, self-control, be gentle. So he goes through and he gives them both in this passage. So, if we understand this, and there's things that we understand the warning, and we want to warn someone as we walk through, how do we do it? What's our heart like? What are our attitudes, right? Is it this harsh attitude that says, oh, I warn you, I'm not kidding this time, right? Not at all. And it's not this wishy-washy thing either that has no uh, meaning and no heart, but it's in between, right, where we do have some meat on it, but it's not this overboard it's not this harshness. Um, it's a gentle one. So 
we do it compassionately. Look at um, the next verse, um, 1 Timothy 5. Um, it says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. When we come, it's not this harsh rebuke, but it's this compassionate encouragement as we walk alongside him. Because again, the warning is designed not as a punishment, but the warning is designed to come along someone to help them to avoid these um, difficulties and harsh things that we get into. In addition to that, we warn different people in different ways, right? Because nobody's the same. And the situations that they go through aren't the same. Even our own life, the situations that we go through will be different. So look at this, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. He says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Some people are idle. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so we admonish them. And that will be a firmer admonishment. Some of them are faint-hearted, right? They're afraid. They're faint-hearted. And so in your warning, we encourage them. We encourage the faint-hearted. Some of them are weak. And in that case, we help them. We let them know that we are there to help. It's a warning, but it's going to be a lot different for someone who's weak or someone who's faint-hearted as someone who's just stubborn and unruly. So when we talk to people, we talk to them different depending on who they are and depending on what situation um, that they're in. And did you notice the last line of that verse too? Be patient with them all. So when you warn, you must be patient. Think about the people around you. What way would you warn them that would be the most effective? What ways have you? What ways could you? What would that be like if we would take this um, to heart, how we do it? There's one other thing that, when it comes to warning, and that's when we warn we need to be careful at the same time. Listen to Galatians 6.1. It says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too are tempted. There is always a temptation to sin when you warn someone. When you're around someone else's sin, there's always this temptation. And your temptation is going to be unique to you. Once again, it's not going to be the same. For some, it might be this pride because you're not tempted. You don't struggle with what it is that they go through. Or it might be anger because you've warned them before, and you've warned them again and again, and they continue in their behavior. Or it might be that tendency to be the harsh um, warning, where you trample on those all around you. All of the ones that you're trying to warn. But the point is, be careful, right? Because you will be tempted. It will just happen automatically. But in your warning, be kind, be compassionate, and be patient. So, Paul says three things. He says, I proclaim, I warn, and I teach. So we've looked at the proclaiming. And we've looked at the warning. We want to look at the teaching um, as well for a minute. So Paul says this, that he teaches. So it took me some time when I was uh, kind of working on this. In what order to put this in, this warning and teaching? Because it seems like lots of times like the teaching should come first. Um, but sometimes it's the warning that comes um, first, right? So it comes before or after. Sometimes we teach and we just teach. So like right now, this morning, we're just teaching. 
Other times you're teaching life, you're trying to teach like a practical skill. You're trying to teach someone to use power tools so they can make a box or they can make, you know, whatever it is, there's just simply a teaching that goes um, involved. But sometimes they go together. And it seems like whenever we warn, we always give this explanation as to why we do it, right? So once again, just go back to these, uh, go back to kids, right? And just see how natural and normal this is, right? Have you seen two kids going back and forth and the one kid says, knock it off or I'm going to make you pay, right? There's this warning in this kind of thing that goes through. Or when they're, you know, uh, little as well, you know, it's like, stop making that face, face or your face will freeze that way, right? So that's the warning, stop making the face. The reason is your face is going to freeze that way, right? Have you guys ever heard that? Okay, so I want to make sure it wasn't, a <laughs> wasn't unique to my childhood and my siblings that they were somehow <laughs> tormenting me different than everyone else was. And um, so, and I never made any face that was too bad, just in case it was, was true. But anyway, so after thinking it through, I decided I'm just, I would just go through in the order that, that the Bible has it in. So, Paul tells us that we are to teach. Does that mean that we're all to lead a class? Does it mean that we're all supposed to lead a Bible study? Does it mean that we all have to do some kind of formal thing? The answer is no. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter five, uh, 6, verses 5 and 7, it says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your, uh, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and you rise. Now this passage right here is talking about a parent and how they teach a child. But we can take that same concept and we can use it for any of the teaching that we do. We can apply that just to our lives and to our friends and to our family, right? So we talk and we teach, right, when you sit in your house. Just when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up, whatever are, we can use these things as um, teaching times. So the question again becomes, what do I teach, right? So maybe I understand that I should teach. Maybe I understand that it should be part of just my normal day-to-day -day life and normal conversation. But what is that we talk about? And again, we can talk about so many things that we can't uh, just bring up one or two things. But there's all the things that Scripture talks about. We can talk about God's love, His kindness, His compassion. We can teach them how to love God and how to love others. We can teach them how to live their lives in a manner that's worthy of their calling. Whatever the situation is and the person that you're with, that's going to dictate the teaching that you go through. Right? So we need to, once again, we need to know who we're talking to. Be aware of what they're going through. And talk to them personally. Talk about the situation that they're in. And listen to, we're going to read Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And Paul's going to talk about how we teach different people, different um, times of life, different ages. And as we read what Paul says, look to see what's repeated. He says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Did you see what was repeated? Did you catch it? Self-control, 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 right? 
every time in our lives, anywhere you are in your lives, God wants you to be self-controlled. I think it's funny when I read this, right? Because the old man has like this list that's like this big. The older women have one that's this big. The younger women have this one this big. And for the young men, it says, be self-controlled. <laughs> that's all it says is be self-controlled. Just that one um, single thing. But it's amazing how many old men regrets come from young men's lack of self-control. And it's just an amazing um, thing that young men who don't have self-control, and all of us, because Paul says, I'll teach self-control to all of them. But if you have a young man who doesn't have self-control, you can think of the things that can happen. And if he's married, and he's a child, has children as well, and he doesn't have self-control, it just leads to a bad situation. So it's not only he that's affected, but it's everyone else that's affected as well. I think that's why Paul just says, teach the young men to be self-controlled. How many sci-fi movies have we seen this, right? Where the old man in the future goes back and tries to talk to his young man to kind of, you know, his young self to talk some sense into it. Even the movie Back to the Future, right? We have this character called Biff, and it's in the future right now, right? And old Biff goes back to talk to young Biff. And when old Biff um, gets there, he's described as an old codger with a cane. And he talks to young Biff. And what he does is he gives him this book, so, you know, this is probably not the best way to go about this, but old Biff gives young Biff this sports almanac. It's got all the winners from 1950 to the year 2000, with the intention is that he can go in and he can bet on all of these is going to make a ton of money. But what is the old Biff trying to do to the young Biff? He's trying to change his life. He's trying to, if he thinks that if young Biff does this, he's going to be rich and old Biff is going to be way better off. He wants to relive his life, is what he basically he wants to do. But we can't go back in time. We can't change what we did. And so Paul says, teach the people. Teach all people. Old men, older women, young women, young men, teach them self-control. So if there's one thing that you want, that you can teach everybody, is this idea of self-control. But, but again, that's just one thing that we can teach, right? There's so many things, and it's all going to depend on where the person is at the time. What are they going through? What are they struggling? What do we talk about? Um, but in that, one of the things that we want to do is we want to spend time learning the Word of God. Listen again to Genesis 6-6. The last verses, or Genesis, that passage, the last verse is this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. God's Word should be in our heart. If we are to teach others what God wants, we need to know what God wants. It's the only way that we can teach. Um, Johnny, Joni, Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata says this, the longer the tea bag sits in the cup, the stronger the tea. The more God's word saturates our mind, the clearer our grasp on what's important to him and the stronger our prayers. The more God's word saturates your mind, the clearer your grasp and the better your teaching will be. So, Paul says, I proclaim, I warn, I teach. And then he goes through and he says, why? And this is what I think is Paul's goal. This is what he does, right? He says, we do this to present everyone mature in Christ. Paul had this goal in his life to, ma to make, to present everyone mature in life. He had this focus. He knew what it was that he was trying to do. He wanted to present everyone mature in Christ. 
he had a method for doing it, right? He proclaimed, he warned, and he taught. This was his method to do it. But what was his goal? He wanted to see people become mature in Christ. What is maturity? Maturity is to become more and more free to, from sin. More and more like Christ. It's to grow in holiness. Now, we're never going to be completely free of sin. We're never going to be fully mature in this life at all. And um, the final making us of mature, the final completion, that act of making us holy, of making us sin-free, of making us like Christ, is something that God will ultimately do. It isn't something that we ultimately do, but it's something that God ultimately does. Look at Philippians 1.6. It says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we don't have an overhead, but listen to um, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 to 13. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another as for all as we do for you, so that he, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. This is something that God is going to do. Ultimately, it's God who's going to make us mature. It's God who's going to make us holy. But at the same time, we are to strive. We are to continue to make every single effort in order to do this. Once again, let's look at Philippians. This time it's chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. And this is Paul, and Paul's going back, and he's talking to... Um, He's talking to them about where he is and what his, his struggles have been and how he's, um, where he is. But he says this. He says, not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to, lies, to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. What are some of the benefits to maturity? As you mature, what are some of the benefits? You'll have more faith. You'll have a stronger faith. You're going to be less tossed to and fro when something happens that you don't understand. You'll have more confidence in what God is doing in your life. And you're going to learn to avoid sin more and more. And those times that you do sin, you're going to go quicker and quicker to Jesus Christ so you can confess your sin so that you can ask for his forgiveness. You will love God more and more. You'll love his people more and more. You'll be more patient. You'll be more compassionate. And this are, these are the benefits of maturity in Christ. It's these things that happen to us. I know that some of you may have concerns that you aren't mature in Christ. And so the question is, how do you help others become mature in Christ if you feel like you're not mature in Christ? Perhaps you're a new Christian. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time, but you just felt like that growth hasn't been there, that maturity hasn't been there. Two thoughts on that as well. The first is, remember, it is God who's doing the work in you, right? He started the work. He's going to finish the work. So when you think about that, realize that it's God who's going to do that. And then think about his... Um, I want to say personality, but traits the way he is, right? Think about his kindness, his gentleness, his love. Look at these three verses real quick. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the, chil let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. If you feel like you're nothing more than this candle with this wick that's about to go out, Jesus Christ says he will not quench that wick. He will not put that out. If you're burdened, if you're heavy burdened, he says, I am gentle and I will give you rest for your souls. If you feel like you're just a child in your faith, he says, to such as you belongs the kingdom of heaven. The second thought is that maturity is difficult to gauge. It's difficult to see growth. In anything that we do, it's difficult to see growth, right? And sometimes you can only see it after years have gone by. So think about this. Um, when the kids are little and they're growing up, uh, lots of times people have like a wall and they'll put like a little mark on there. And so, you know, year one, or not year one, year one comes in. <laughs> All right, so let's fast forward a few years, right? So this age height kid comes in, right? And you put the mark there and you wait like a year on his birth and you bring him back and you put the mark there and you say, oh, you've grown this much. You've grown a half an inch or an inch, right? But it takes like a year to do that. So well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, what would it be like to be in Dan Parisi's? Look at his wall, right? <laughs> He's growing up because it's probably like, okay, half an inch, quarter of an inch, three quarters of an inch, eight inches, ten inches, twelve inches. <laughs> Those last three must have been pretty, pretty amazing, right? But our growth is sometimes like that, right? Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's this way. But we can't always see it unless we go back. We can't always see it unless we look at what it was. So we look back to see... What am I like now? What was I like then? Do I sin more? When I do sin, do I go to, for forgiveness longer? Am I more patient with those around me? Am I more compassionate with those around me? Am I more, you know, for, forgiving? Do I love God more? Do I love other people more? There's so many different ways to measure maturity, but we don't see it on a day-to-day -day basis. So we have to look back and we can see it and look back in your life and see if there is maturity see if there has been a change whether it's a year ago or five years or ten years ago but that's one of the ways that we see um, maturity is when you go back so Paul says that's my goal is to make people um, mature in Christ to present everyone mature in Christ how does he do this we know that he does the proclaiming the warning and the teaching. But what about the effort? What does he put forth? Is this an easy thing to do or is this a hard thing to do, right? Paul says, I toil. He says, I struggle. I toil and I struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. Paul works hard. Paul toils. He struggles. He does everything that he can to proclaim, to warn, and teach. He does everything that he can to make himself more mature. He does everything he can to help others become mature. If you read the book of Acts and go through all the things that Paul went through, it is absolutely amazing that he continued to do what he did. He would go into these towns, and he would try to proclaim the gospel, and they would be outraged, and they would try to kill him. Or they would drive him out of the city. At one point, he was at one city, and these people drove him out, so he went to the next city. These people drove him out, he went to the next city. But these people kept following him from the first town, inciting the other towns to drive him out. But he didn't stop. 
he struggled, he toiled, he labored in order to do this. But Paul also realized that he cannot do this on his own strength. And he says it is with God's energy, it's with God's power that he uh, works through me that I'm able to do this. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. And Paul knows this, and this is why he can keep going. This is how he can toil and struggle and not give up. This is how he can face discouragement and adversity and hostility, and he can keep on proclaiming and warning and teaching and loving and forgiving and being thankful because it is God who does the work. It is God's power that does the work. Because see, there's a danger. There's dangers involved if we think that we need to do all of this ourselves. So if we say, for this I toil and I struggle, and we don't finish the sentence, we don't say through God's power that he works in with me, but I just say I toil and I struggle for this. Um, it's something that we cannot do. And it will wear us down. And it will beat us down, right? We will become so burdened so overwhelmed that we give in or we give up. Or what we're going to do is we're going to look at around those people around us and we're going to want to make them mature in Christ. And if it's something that we toil and we struggle to do, right, we begin to put pressure on those. We put pressure on those around us to do better, to be better, to act better, right? And it's this pressure and it's this pressure for these people to do this, right? And it's a burden that they can't carry. And they're either going to give up or give in and say, I can't do it, or they're going to become angry. They're going to become bitter. They're going to alienate themselves because they can't take the pressure, and they need to relieve the pressure. And so Paul understands that when he says, I toil and I struggle, I do what I can do. But it's God who does the work. It's God's power. It's him working through me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not my responsibility. It's not my work. It's not my burden. The outcome is not up to me. This outcome is up to God. So he says, I toil and I struggle with his power, with his work, with the Holy Spirit. Um, so for us, we want to work hard. We want to work hard. But we want to do it realizing the outcome isn't up to us. We don't make people holy. We don't make people mature in Christ. God does that. The Holy Spirit does that. He uses us in different means and in different methods. And we play a role. But it's God who does this. And this gives us um, the patience to work hard, but to not be overbearing. To not pressure those around us so that we can warn and that we can teach with patience and with compassion and with love and with understanding. So what does this look like for you? Remember, it's going to be different for everybody, right? God has compared the church to a body. And each body has a, each piece of the body has a different function. And he says, this is what it's like. So what you do will be different than everyone else does. But God has called you to this. God has called you to proclaim, to warn, and to teach in order that the people around you will become mature in Christ as he works powerfully within you. So this year, as you make your New Year's resolutions, as you look back and as you uh, set the goals for this year, 
Think about the Apostle Paul's goal to present everyone mature in Christ, to proclaim, to warn, to teach with God's energy, with the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. The band can come up as I uh, close in prayer.